Welcome back, listeners. You're listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania. Mania, mania, mania. Mania, 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 mania. <laughs> <laughs> On WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio. Yo. Thank you for joining us. It's probably a skosh after 11 a.m. Yeah. We're glad you're here. Yes. So this week we've got a special topic that we want to talk about. But before we go any further, of course, we'd like to extend more than our thoughts and prayers to the families that lost loved ones, friends, husbands, wives, kids, and for the people that are losing hope in our country doing something about this. So hashtag white supremacy needs to go. We need to fix it. Now that we got that out of the way, now we can talk about more uplifting topics. Mm, maybe <laughs> we're gonna talk about crime in Richmond and the Commonwealth Attorney's Office kind of programming and some things that we've got going on in the community that are very exciting. So we've got a special guest today that's gonna introduce you know this beyond containment. As you guys know, Mike is gone. They're caring, yeah. He moved on. Another job. And so there is a a, a race that's happening uh, this week. And we'll plug those towards the end of the show where and when you need to go to vote for that. While he's gone and we have an interim Commonwealth attorney, the programs and things that he started before he left are still in motion because it never stops in Richmond. No. So we've got a special guest. We, we always like to let people introduce themselves. So give us your name, what you do, who you are, where you be at, all that good stuff. Indeed. What's your favorite you know, flavor of ice cream? <laughs> Lactose intolerant? Are you vegan? He's vegan. He's vegan. So um, I am. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for, first of all, both of you for allowing me to join you today. My name is Aman Shabazz. Uh, I think that is uh, the crux of who I am. Uh, I always say on all sincerity that I'm just a guy. Uh, I happen to be working in my, from the perspective of what I would say is to alleviate the suffering of uh, people, particularly of African descent, but certainly of uh, poor and oppressed people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to work in the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. So my job title is Programs Specialist in that office, and that does not define what I do in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> um, the title in and of itself was a rather bit strategic uh, to say the least but ultimately my role in the office is to advise the office in relationship to uh, alternative prosecution policies practices uh, devising programs in essence to attempt to try to make incarceration the absolute last resort for uh, folks who come to the courthouse Mm. Um, that's the nuts and bolts of it if you will Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I have been fortunate to be an organizer if you will within the community for uh, the majority of my life. Long time. Uh, I have uh, definitely spent my entire adult life as an organizer, um, some of my teenage years as well. And the only passion that I, I shouldn't say the only, but the primary passion that I feel like I have is really just that uh, one of really trying to alleviate the suffering of folks uh, mm-hmm. who uh, are disadvantaged uh, for reasons that certainly can be uh, changed. And uh, that's that's where I find myself in this moment in time. That was a whole mouthful. <laughs> Yep, that's that a, a lot. But I feel like we we've known you forever now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you oh, were one of the first people I met on. Was that a? I think it was at a um, an event at Abner Clay Park. Oh wow! And I came back to Richmond and I started kind of joining the scene, and I ran across you and Lily and oh, um, okay. Lynetta, and there was someone else there. 
Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I had met Lynetta from going to an NAACP meeting. And I was like, hey. And she was like, all of these people right here are pretty cool. Let me introduce you to them. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Oh, yes, and yes, yes. of course, you know, I, we ran, we crossed paths a lot. Right, right, right. Yeah, so you're doing great work. This, let's talk about this project that we've actually got the document in front of us. But is it available for people to kind of see online or yeah, is it somewhere? Regretfully, uh, what would have to happen is someone would simply need to contact me. And I okay. can certainly get them a copy uh, for reasons that I don't have any control of and I don't really understand why it's an issue but we don't have a website for our office so we don't have a space that we can actually post it you know where people can just access it Uh, but if anyone wants it I'm hoping before the program I will certainly give contact information and they can reach out to me and I would gladly send it to them electronically or for if if they really want a physical copy, yeah, I'd yeah. be happy to bring it to them. But yeah. We need to work on that website. I know. Yeah, we need to call for that. Well, yeah. Like I said, that's another conversation. So. Yeah. Who, who, who we need to contact for that? We need to get one. But anyway, the document, the, t- the title of the document is called Beyond Containment, Reevaluating What's Important to Improve Public Safety in Richmond. And if I'm not mistaken, you and Mike put this together yourselves, right? To working together, right? Absolutely. And to include uh, a grad student of UVA named Juliet Busing. She also helped us. Uh, with the report as well. Okay. And so basically this overview, just to give you guys, um, our listeners, what it is, you've got several different topics. It's, it's more like a booklet almost. And it's got several pages and each page is kind of like an intersection in a cause or root element that creates or affects crime and crime rates and Right. you know different things and let, kind of let's lo- let's look at the document and kind of walk through it if you don't mind just tell us kind of what the purpose of I don't need it to you do don't that need it. I, okay. can, I can certainly do that, all right. that. <laughs> He's like, I know this I didn't <laughs> want to put you on the spot oh no, no um, put me on the spot it's all right <laughs> trust me but you know kind of walk us through and tell us where the you know origin of this came up I know this is you told us mm-hmm. that's kind of what you do but you know we talk about crime there and there's always a, a town hall or a meeting right. or a thread on Twitter or something, or, you know, studies and blah, blah, blah. There's always something going on about how do we improve people's lives and, and what affects crime and how bad crime is and what can we do about it. And there's always a talk, but I think we end up coming to the table a lot, doing a lot of talking, mm-hmm. and then we don't create that strategy or that task-oriented plan Indeed. to do that. So how did this, because that's a lot of what um, I see in this document, It's that's what it is. So tell us how, how this happened. Right. So first of all, the document, oftentimes it's described as a report and it's described as a number of different things. I like to just simply call it a discussion guide because as you read through it, you'll see that it really raises more questions than it does in terms of providing solutions, so to speak. And that was very deliberate. The reason that it came about, in all honesty, was because Mike and I had conversation around what things we needed to do to push this idea of having, at the time, what we were calling a community-wide summit Mm -hmm. to really be able to dig deeper into the concept of root causes, if you will, of crime. Now, one of the things that we found out was as we talked, and this is quite literally across the board, as we talk with community members, as we talk with uh, people who we've elected or have been appointed to make other kinds of decisions that affect our lives, mm-hmm. um, we found that people really didn't have a clue what we were talking about. Like mm. they, they looked at us, you know, with the third head look or whatever the mm. case is, and they would either say, you know, well, yeah, we know that, you know, we, for example, the often thing is, is yeah, we know that poverty is linked 
to crime and you know we know education is important in preventing and we know the, the typical things that we mm-hmm. you know I feel that people would expect to hear talking points but when you have when you attempt to have more layered discussion about well then how do these things connect specifically and what does that look like in a systemic context then the conversation became hmm you know, right, or, right. or, or uh, oh, well, we're already working on that and we're already doing, you know, this. Hmm. So we don't really need to talk about Are that. Are you? And so one of the things that people don't really know well about me, I do have a science background, but many of the sociologists and, and, and other related scientists, if you will, that we talked with about what we were attempting to do, they kind of shunned the idea that we were calling this a root cause analysis mm-hmm. because what they were specifically accustomed to was a process that was centered around, if you will, production outcomes and, mm-hmm. and around, yeah, primarily around production outcomes in a particular industry or area. And while that's obviously an application of the process, there are applications of the process in a broader community context as well in terms right. of community community change, systems change, and the like. And because I was aware of those things, uh, that's part of what catapulted us toward this direction that was to facilitate or to attempt to facilitate, excuse me, the the community uh, dialogue that I mentioned earlier. So the book itself or the discussion guide itself actually came about because we attempted to do this in I'll just identify it as two phases okay. we, we wanted to we knew without question that the community needed to be in the forefront of uh, providing us if you will with the information that we needed in order to really have this conversation the way that it should be had. Yes, community first. Um, exactly then we also understood of course that where I'll just, I hate using this term, but decision makers were, you know, Mm -hmm. relevant. We wanted to not just provide a space for people to come in and say either A, this is what we're doing well, or we already know that, or to assume that for whatever reason or another, we already know that. But we really wanted to provide a space where people understood the objectives that we had for going into a larger community dialogue. And that I always like to say, not so much even that we're on the same page, but that we're at least looking at the same book. Yes, right, right. Before we start to really try to dig into this kind of a discussion, Mm -hmm. because from my knowledge, I don't know that we've actually ever approached anything in this fashion before here as a city. As you indicated, we've had a lot of town halls. We've had a lot of forums. We have a lot of what are deemed community discussions or community dialogues, if you will. And as you indicated, uh, those things come out uh, with less substance than not because, and this is my perspective, Mm -hmm. but because the focus has never really been about including the community in process to begin with. It really was more about being able to either impose ideas or to be able to come to the table, for lack of a better term again, to at least be able to uh, one-up the other agency Mm, or the next mm, agency. mm. That was a a word right there. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Yo! And so from from our perspective, what we thought would make sense was let's figure out a way that we could provide, we can, I guess for other purposes, provide information that would stimulate people's interest to be a part of this discussion, mm-hmm. but also kind of give them a sense of the direction we're actually heading in. So some of the questions, you know, may be considered challenging, you know, f- especially for agencies where they may intersect with that particular subject. Mm-hmm. Um, and we did that deliberately because we wanted people to understand that, you know, again, this is a deeper dive that we're attempting to take. Right. We're definitely not trying to, uh, just for other purposes, provide the usual uh, crime stats and, and, and use that for other little purposes as the mm-hmm. backdrop to suggest that we could do other things uh, to improve public safety when right. we've not really looked at these sociological and evi- environmental factors that we know have some 
for all other purposes impact. That was the purpose of why we put Beyond Containment together. It really was more to provoke ideas, provoke thought, even for folk who may have disagreed even with the direction or the lean, I should say, that the, the, the piece in and of itself kinds of pre- kind of presents. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you disagree with that, that's okay. We wanted to make sure we brought these people nonetheless together yeah. so that we could have genuine dialogue. That's how we have dialogue. It. Exactly. And, um, and then from that point, uh, the intent is, again, as you alluded to earlier, was to, once we've had this dialogue and, and we've, we've dug in, so to speak, uh, to the degree that we can, the attempt is to then take that information and work towards development of long-term strategies mm-hmm. that could be used in a citywide context uh, in order to improve public safety and, and or, for all other purposes, reduce crime. So there's a lot in relationship to that. And, and hopefully before this conversation is over, I'd like to come back to that latter point. Sure. But for the purposes of where we are now, to wrap up what it has grown into, just for clarity for our listeners, uh, now this has become more of a regional conversation. We have actually uh, gained interest, if you will, from Henrico County and from Chesterfield County, yes. uh, particularly uh, both of the jurisdictions, uh, Commonwealth attorneys, you know, you know, Shannon Taylor and Scott Miles, mm-hmm. have, are now on board in helping us uh, plan this, if you will. Mm-hmm. So uh, the two of them, along with Colette, who is our interim uh, uh Commonwealth attorney here in the city uh, are helping to further the purposes mold this on towards its manifestation, if you will, or fruition into fruition uh, as we come up on uh, our first uh, session in the the dialogue series. Yes. And so the way that it's been broken down, so you've got quite a few topics, like we can call them topics or, you know, different points. Right, right. But it goes through, um, and like you said, it, it's, you know, it gives you a frame of what it is, plenty of, not not necessarily statistical data, but factual explanations of what, you know, each thing is. Like it's trauma. easy to read. It doesn't, it's yeah. for everyone. It doesn't feel like um, any of the information given here is over your head. And the mm-hmm. questions that are um, asked for discussion at the end are of, actually really insightful. Yes, of each, each and, topic has a set of you know, questions to generate discussion, which I think really gets to the meat of, you know, what needs to happen. We can't, like you said, you have people, you have these meetings and people just talk to, talk or talk down to. Talk at. At people. Like instead of talk with, there's a lot of talking at all of these meetings. Yeah. So this is a lot of, it's not a a whole lot of things to necessarily digest, I would say. I think most of the, like you said, most of these topics have been covered. We talk about them. We talk about probably not at the same time though. Right. As a collective. And that's it. You know, they they all kind of get touched on, but to have a broad sense, and I'll just go through them real quick to give the listeners an understanding. We've got uh, trauma. Uh, We've got um, poverty, uh, health, which we've covered on this show quite a bit, race and identity, housing, education and youth programs, social media and culture, and law enforcement, which of course we talk about a great deal. And so it's from my understanding, we're going to have maybe breakout sessions for each one of these topics. Right. The format for this has morphed uh, into uh, what I think a very interesting uh, format, <laughs> to mm-hmm. say the least. And uh, I think that the thing from the onset that I always want everyone to be clear about is is that I don't think that there's any panacea for how you approach you know these issues mm-hmm. in a way that if we're, we're talking about coming out with solutions or we're talking about outcomes that are going to generate you know resolve to the kinds of things that we've yeah. happened. I mean that we're dealing with. We have to understand, and I know that people may feel like this is just being putting things off, or they may think it's cliche 
gig, but we cannot resolve these problems in a day session. Right. We cannot resolve them in a week session for that matter. Mm-hmm. So we have to be understand that this is a long haul call. This mm-hmm. is an this is an effort that we're trying to put it into place. It took hundreds of years to get here. Exactly. <laughs> I mean exactly. you can't do it in exactly. one session. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so with that in the forefront, and again, again, not as an excuse to suggest that we shouldn't yeah. do anything, but for people to understand that that's our aim with this. Yeah. Um, our aim is really to move in the direction where we can dig in, so to speak, um, as substantively as possible. Yeah. Um, there's some disadvantages, I'm sure, uh, for the way that we have it structured at the present time. And I hope that people will uh, share that, that they will come, they will participate, and then they will share those things. And perhaps we can figure out what would work best you know across the board but ultimately uh the way what we attempted to do was to try to break things down into a series of different sessions and so in our conversations we initially wanted to have something that we dealt with all of those topics like all at once and we had you know several (laughs) you know i i was i always advocated for more days than the rest of the planning team was willing to uh agree to but ultimately we were trying to put them into a one-day session and we realized no this is ridiculous Mm -hmm. if if we attempt to do that we, we we will and I, I say this loosely, fail. Not, and I don't know if I agree with that completely, but we won't meet our objectives because say, yeah. we're trying to cram in yeah. so much. So what we've done, and then we thought, excuse me, then we thought about each particular topic. And so the planning team basically agreed that what we wanted to do was, well, let's look at the lens of poverty um, first. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's start there. And as we talk about poverty, not certainly just talk about the general things that we know in terms of uh, the related economics, you mm-hmm. know, in regards to poverty and, and income, et cetera. But all of those topics, have their various layers, if you will, of intersection in relationship uh-huh. to, poverty. to poverty. So the conversation isn't just again about the econo- the, the broader economics. It's about um, housing. It's still you know it's still about housing. Uh-huh. It's still about education. Um, it's still certainly about law enforcement and its relationship to community. Right. And, and 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 then of course the uh, in impact or the environmental impact of poverty in and of itself. Yeah. And so what we've broken it down to is a five series, if you will, discussion um, with poverty as the the, the, the overlying, uh, I mean, is that right? Yeah. Overlying uh, mm-hmm. word. If it's not a word, we'll use it now. Um, <laughs> um, uh, part of our discussion, but we, we intend to dig into each of those areas as we go along in go the through. series. Okay. The first one, <laughs> this is not my title, but we came up with it and I think that it's great. That's what I'm going to say. There um, you go. <laughs> yeah, the, the collision at the intersection of poverty and criminal justice. Um, okay. I, I, I mean, I hope that that speaks for itself. But ultimately, <laughs> with what it states is, is that we're quite clear that there are aspects of the criminal justice system, certainly along the lines of poverty, certainly along uh, the history, if you will, of, of Virginia's laws and their application, uh, certainly along the lines of, in general, um, how, quote unquote, criminal justice agencies in and of themselves relate to uh, the, the the poor communities mm-hmm. and we intend to try to deal with that in our first session and from that point uh, we, we are hoping that we can move to our, our successive sessions the uh, next and this may not be the order that I have in the in the sheet that you have in front of you oh, but okay. we we definitely want to do one that focuses specifically on policing and its relationship if you will within poor communities yeah. uh, really talking about for our other purposes there's this term Terminology that's been used, uh, guardian uh, versus sentinel, if you will, policing, mm. uh, where we have police that either work within specific communities and their aim is 
to truly be able to look at what types of things that they can be involved in in order to truly keep the community safe in and of itself mm-hmm. or whether they go into specific communities looking so to speak for problems right Uh, that that's that's one aspect of it uh the other uh another the the other section which i think is also one gonna that's gonna generate a a genuine amount of interest is in relationship to the cradle to prison pipeline um the impact if you will on that obviously in poor communities and what that looks like in the context of outcomes on the criminal justice end Mm -hmm. as well as um this notion of deconcentrating poverty, poverty um, yeah. as it relates, of course, to housing and, and really there are other factors involved in this notion outside of housing. But ultimately, uh, the proposed methods for doing that, what kind of impact are they going to honestly have on communities? And what does that, again, look like on the criminal justice side? Mm-hmm. Uh, we also want to talk about the idea of how does the poverty environment actually affect uh, a person's, and I say this loosely, uh, ability to make decisions. And, and let me, I want to be clear, our intent with that one, because I feel like oftentimes I have to explain that a little bit more, is not to suggest that anyone who's poor obviously is going to uh, commit crime. I mean, that that's right. a ridiculous notion and no one is suggesting that. But if we look at things from the uh, for all the purposes, the psychological perspective and the sociological perspective, mm-hmm. we understand that the condition of poverty in and of itself, which this is a Shabazz talking, not my office, not mm-hmm. anyone else, but mm-hmm. which in and of itself needs to be included in this definition as far as I'm concerned of crime. But that is yeah. a conversation that we can have, you know, uh, mm-hmm. further, further, you know, further on. But when we look at the poverty condition, there are clear things about the adversity that one encounters in that environment that actually have an effect in terms of shaping a person's personality, shaping a person's uh, culture, shaping a person's ideas in the way that if I'm making decisions for my livelihood and I'm faced with X choice, X, Y, and Z choices, yeah. that that fo- that literally kind of pushes a person in a particular direction, yeah. you know, and I'm almost. Conform- to a certain exactly yeah, exactly which is called trauma without question without question without question <laughs> yeah the, exactly that that's exactly right yeah, um that trauma. that that is the 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 impact if you will and the outcome unfortunately of trauma that we don't incorporate when we're talking about sentencing decisions or we don't you know mm-hmm. think about when we're even talking about charging decisions for that matter we we think basically in general from at least from a criminal justice perspective mm-hmm. about what people say are facts um i have my own issues in relationship to that but ultimately right. you know what do we identify as motive? What do we identify as the, the, the factors that were involved in the context of what may have been used or how a person, you know, engaged in a particular behavior? And if that behavior is against a, against a particular code, mm-hmm. we deem it as a crime, therefore it gets charged and the punishment is, in, is involved. And, and, and ultimately, you know, even at a cursory sense, you have to see the, the flaws, if you will, in, mm-hmm. in, in that logic, so to speak, if that's logical at all. It is. It is. And that, that's been... Something that I think, like like we said earlier, it comes up, all these different things come up when they present themselves in a major case or right. Oh, right, within right, right. something, you know, that we see that's right in front of us. And I think as a society, uh, trauma is something that's relatively new mm-hmm. to the conversation, I would think, as as how it connects to crime and, and different things. And I'm thinking of a particular case. I'm thinking of a couple, but I really feel like that's something that's relative, relatively become pretty new, even 
down into thinking about how it affects uh, policymaking and different things with school systems. Right. We're now talking about trauma-included education and mm -hmm. trauma-informed in mm. counselors in the school because of these, where the school is or what's going on. Or, you know, I can't focus because, right. you know, you expect me to come to school and my classmate was murdered yesterday. Oh, I think that's something that's relatively been new to the scene, but what were you going to say? Go ahead. One of the things that I definitely, and, and so I appreciate the fact that you brought up that terminology because one of the things I hope comes out of this conversation is that we actually start taking a look at many of the words and things that we use to define uh, circumstance. Mm -hmm. One of the challenges that I have personally with, even though we identified it, if you will, as a an area, if you will, or a subject uh, that certainly needs, and, and, and rightly so, uh, addressed in the context of uh, things that affect quote-unquote crime decisions, ultimately... I think that the lens that has is being popularized in regards to how we approach trauma mm -hmm. is one that we have to be very careful of. Uh, you know, people are starting to say everything's trauma informed at this point, you yeah. know, and, and, and we're starting to use that terminology a lot more loosely than what it was intended as it was you know, developed. Mm -hmm. And while I think that that's absolutely a good start and a good direction, what we really, in my opinion, need to be focused on is more healing centered you know strategies like we really need to be considering what are those things that need to be healed within community what are those things that need to be dealt with at, at their at their most um fundamental you know uh as in the most fundamental aspects excuse mm -hmm. me of what a person experiences and what they go through and what they're challenged with how do we develop a healing centered model if you will around that so that we help eliminate uh some of the um what people sometimes call collateral consequences mm -hmm. um, of of, of engaging or in enduring uh, those circumstances to begin with. And what happens to them? I'm, the case I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about Centoya Brown, mm -hmm. which was a probably one of the most recent, but also one of the most prominent cases that involved trauma-related, just kind of, I don't, well, a lot of people said it was trauma-related negligence, really, on behalf of the people that prosecuted her. But are you familiar with the case? I, vaguely. Okay, so Centoya Brown was kidnapped and basically forced into child prostitution and throughout her life she was uh, forced into that lifestyle and um, in order to get away she murdered her John mm -hmm. uh, stole the money and got out of there right. and then she was later caught and served 15 years in prison right. for killing right. him and it, this whole I think this whole conversation came up around you know understanding how trauma relates to crime and and how it affects people especially when you're talking about prosecuting someone when that's a key route right you know of, right, of right, why right. they were in that situation and what they were gonna do you know it I think her case um, and now she's actually been released I believe uh, this week that's been I think at the forefront of a lot of the conversation, especially for women, um, when we're talking about trauma, you know, induced awareness of right. crime and causation. Um, so I know that came, that was the first thing that came to mind for me, because um, a lot of people believe that, you know, she shouldn't have been, you know, prosecuted. And it's like, well, that's where you get into the legality of, right. you know, how do we prevent crime, but also how do we do our job as a Commonwealth's attorney's office to support victims, but, you know, it seems like there was a victim on both sides of the table. 
without question. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's what makes it tricky. It, yeah, yeah. It, well, it's definitely again, it, it's a conversation that absolutely is far more layered than just being able to sit down and say, "Well, we want to, uh, we want to somehow affect you know traumatized mm-hmm. persons who endure, excuse me, specific levels of trauma." It's obvious, as you kind of indicated, that there it, it's not only multi-layered, but I, I appreciate the fact that you cited that case because it's interesting for a couple of reasons. And this is again, this is Amon Shabazz speaking. This mm-hmm. is not Amon speaking for the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. Mm-hmm. This is not mm-hmm. Amon speaking for our acting. Commonwealth attorney or anyone right. of the sort, right, right. Um, and but this is the point. It, it, we're trying to provide the space also for voices like mine um, and ideas like what you just shared mm-hmm. and elsewise to truly be analyzed in a way that takes us beyond just the surface level conversation. Mm-hmm. But I appreciate the fact that you brought that up nonetheless because one of the things that I feel that's really important for us to understand is that as we start talking about you know, for other purposes, how these things link in to uh, affecting, if you will, how a person could lead to a decision to mm-hmm. engage in a behavior or to commit a particular act that's deemed as crime. Mm-hmm. We really start having to look at how we, we really need to start, excuse me, having to look at how we define crime in and of itself in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, that is that's an unfortunate situation that under no circumstances would I want anyone that I know and anyone that I don't know, for that matter, to, mm-hmm. to have to go through uh, but when we start talking about well thing what kinds of things are just and in terms of an individual's ability to be able to for lack of a better term take care of themselves uh-huh. and to and to certainly meet their needs of survival especially under extreme circumstances such as those uh, we, we have to figure out how we address that in, in a regard that doesn't necessarily say that oh well it's okay for you to do whatever you want to do but right. it certainly has to be something that uh is considered in the context of of how we again uh, how we uh, charging decisions uh, sentencing decisions mm-hmm. and what those things really look like in the context of what were the real circumstances that mm-hmm. that led up to this moment versus well if it meets these standards you know based on what's on paper yeah. then we have to address it in this particular way based on what's on paper which we also know is nonsense because we sentencing guidelines anyway yeah sentencing, sentencing guidelines, guidelines in and of themselves yeah. are yeah yeah are a whole uh, thing that i really wish we could kind of tease out at some point mm-hmm. um, but that you know, I don't know that we have the space to do that immediately. I mean, directly, but maybe it'll come out in some one of the discussions as well. But but ultimately, the point was, uh, we have to start taking more deliberate care with how we define these things that are deemed offenses in particular ways. Um, mm-hmm. When people are either trying to meet a uh, means again a means of their lively uh, the means of livelihood and or, or survival. survival. Yeah, right. and it's it's important to discuss them because these are the different lenses, interchangeable lenses that need to be. We need to all be conscientious of when you're talking about sentencing. There are other cases that when this case came up, there were lots of different cases. People were kind of peppering Twitter with where there were white defendants that had done the same thing mm-hmm. and their sentencing was much lighter. Yeah. You know, you didn't have, you know, a 15 year jail sentence for murder. Right. It was, oh, my gosh, this, you know, girl was. But because of the color. Mm-hmm. of Miss Brown, you know, you got a different outcome. And so that's a whole nother lens on the yeah. whole issue that has to be addressed as we talk about what it is, you know, 
Right, right. That's a look, that's a whole nother conversation. It, it is the superpowers it, of black people that we po- only <laughs> possess when <laughs> white people want us to <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> to be accountable yeah. for something that oh, they so want to punish us for. You know, exactly. It's not we don't ever have superpowers exactly. in any other way. It's Mm-mm. just when we've done something they don't like. That's a whole nother. That's a whole nother show. Right, 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 right. <laughs> One I would like to be on. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a whole nother show. You are listening to RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania on WRIR LP 97.3 FM Richmond Independent Radio. So now we've, we've kind of talked about each one of these things. Do you kind of want to talk about a little bit of each one or sure. um, give us a little bit of, give, kind of give our viewers a little taste and see? Oh, can we see on the radio now? Yeah. Okay. We can. Cause well, because we're magical unicorns and of you can course. see us. We can do anything. <laughs> yeah, a, little, a, little, a little taste and see of, you know, what, how you, not necessarily how you'd like the conversation to go, because that's not the point of this. That's the right, exact right, opposite right. of what we're trying to right, do. Right. But, you know, what, how each one of these things creates an intersection and how that can affect, connect it back to your office, because I think that's the part that I don't want people to miss. Mm -hmm. This isn't uh, coming from an organization in the community or, you know, somebody, even though you are very active in the community, this isn't your personal project. Mm -hmm. This is coming from, this is substantive discussion that's being originated and started by the Commonwealth Attorney's Office and it's one, it's something that we need, but I'm hoping that people see it as definitely a, a reach out for we want to do, you know, we're just not about throwing, tossing people in jail. Mm-hmm. Right, right. No, right. we actually want to get to the point where we don't need to toss people in jail. How do we do this? How do we do it? Right. right. So, right. yeah, let's talk about some of these things. Great. You yeah, can start sure, wherever sure. you like. All right. So uh, if you don't mind, yeah, I'm going to go back to something you said a moment ago, uh, in, which was an allusion, if you will, to mm-hmm. race and identity. One of the things, so again, just to iterate what you said a moment ago, I, I definitely want listeners to understand that in no way did we provide this for our little purposes as what we want to project as the direction of the dialogue mm-hmm. or um, that this is somehow an end-all, be-all to, to, right. to what is to be discussed. It's the start. We, Right, exactly. We're very clear that all of these things in and of themselves has mul- have multiple layers. They're things that we probably missed, you know, mm-hmm. in the context of relevant subjects that, that should also be included. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, to your point a little bit earlier, um, Melissa, what we really wanted to do was to just really be sure that it wasn't some, you know, grand document of legalese. <laughs> you know, yeah. we, we really yeah. wanted folk to be able to read it, uh, to absorb it, and to form their opinions about it, you know, to, yeah. well, this makes sense to me. Oh, no, no, this Actually ridiculous. be able to use it. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Accessible. Um, uh-huh. Right, 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 right. To the question that you asked, um, I want to start to go back to the race and identity point. It, it, 
it's interesting to me that uh, in many conversations that I have been a part of um, in in terms of city leadership, mm-hmm. and and I would argue other leaders of you know of, of different uh, stature, if you will, as well, that there seems to be what I always call a nod of agreement when people start addressing the realities of how race is really intertwined in a lot of the issues that we face mm-hmm. within you know again within poor communities, within oppressed communities. I would argue in general. And people will nod in agreement and saying, yeah, yeah, I know that that's the case. Yeah, oh, things are really bad historically. We got to heal a whole lot. And mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, they'll come up with a whole bunch of different mm-hmm. things, you know, that sound really nice and really good. But when we start digging with it, kind of digging deeper into the core of, well, let's look at the reality that your recognition of that not only isn't enough, but we then have to start looking at, well, how how are things actually operating currently? What is the historic context of how those things are actually operating currently? And if that historic context, even though we know it does, um, actually includes a race component, Mm -hmm. then what are the things that we need to do if there's truly a means to be able to change or shift or bend the curve on how we do business in relationship to those things? Mm -hmm. Then when are we going to find a point where we address that? You know, you You can't can't just keep talking about it. Yeah, you can't address race, if you will, in a well, I shouldn't say you can't. Addressing race is more than just a policy decision at that point. Mm-hmm. It means that there genuinely has to be a culture shift yes. in regards to whatever agency we're referring to or whoever's wielding the power, so to speak. There has mm-hmm. to be a culture shift that 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 is, you know, that whether people get on board or whether they don't get on board, right. that happens um, at its core, at its core levels, in order to truly be able to um, address, if you will, the notion of race and identity with 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 an equitable lens. Yes, um, and that we realize is a lift that is probably beyond the scope of outcomes that I expect to see when we get to strategies that right. that are immediately ap- applicable. Yeah, uh, or, that's a long-term thing. Exactly, that, that, that being my point, that being mm-hmm. my point. And that's so, a long-term thing. Acknowledging that, we understand that race is inextricably, inextricably, excuse me, intertwined into each of these areas. So we know that right. there's a race component in regards to um, disparities in housing. We know that there's a race component component in regards to disparities in education, yeah. in, um, in in those who uh, suffer the the highest uh, concentrations, if you will, or amounts of trauma, uh, both due to the environment and, of course, the the, the um, circumstances, unfortunately, that have evolved as a result of how, again, we try to meet our livelihood and how we uh, go about our daily means, if you will, of living and experience. Uh, we know that in terms of health outcomes, again, there's an inextricably mm-hmm. an inextricable link to, you know, uh, race, if you will, and identity. And so because of that, we want to make sure that people understand that we're not neglecting, so to speak, to uh deal with this head on, Mm -hmm. if you will. We do understand that there's a need to deal with it head on. And I would argue that that's something that we absolutely need to dedicate specific time to and not mar it down with any other issues or any other things, but Mm -hmm. to deal. If we're going to talk about race and what we need to do, people use the term heal. I'll I'll, I'll just use that for right now. If we're going to do anything to genuinely heal the issues that are where, where, where things are race central, then we absolutely need to dedicate the time 
only to that. Yes. And we need to be able to get in the room and realize that not only is this going to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. I'm going to say some things that will make you, you know, if you don't already like me, you're definitely not going to like me by the time we get out the room. <laughs> and that is okay. <laughs> exactly. That is absolutely okay. Exactly. It's okay. We cannot keep... Exactly. Well, I, and I think that's a, that's a great point to make because that's been coming up with recent news mm-hmm. going on with what's been going on in the country. You know, people are so afraid to say the things that need to be said because, oh my gosh, I don't want to make white people uncomfortable. Yeah. Honey, black <laughs> people been uncomfortable since we got here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, and on the whole trip over here. Yeah. So, you know, I hate to say it, but I mean, it's not tit for tat, but I could really care less about your comfort mm-hmm. if we're, if you're dedicated to this process of making this right and figuring out what we need need to do to change society for the future i can't worry about your feelings being hurt mm-hmm. but besides your white guilt you'll get you'll be okay right, right. <laughs> you'll be all right the, the whole point of the creation of the idea of race in and of itself and and the identities that uh oppressed people now have kind of donned the mantle of so to speak was for the purpose of making us uncomfortable uncomfortable um, it was exactly. in and of themselves so you know yeah i, I have to agree with you completely on yeah. that yeah uh, i ain't we, got time to be worried we, about your feelings being hurt you're gonna just have to be all right right <laughs> if right, you dedicate right, right. to the change and it's not gonna kill us right and exactly and we have to be willing to understand that there are some conversations that we need to have for lack of a better term exclusively there mm-hmm. are conversations that we need to deal with as people of african descent mm-hmm. that don't involve europeans that don't involve white people mm-hmm. don't involve other ethnicities don't involve mm-hmm. anyone else for that mm-hmm. matter we need to deal with those things in and of themselves mm-hmm. white folks if you will need to deal with those things in and of themselves mm-hmm. and we need to we need to acknowledge that at some every space isn't a space that we need to come together have for intersection yes not all the Um, time it just can't i mean well it can we can attempt to do that but i think that just keeps us in the space that we've been in and people being able to uh uh, pass off uh these ideas of of addressing things when really we've we've just really kind of helped perpetuate the status quo as they say Mm -hmm. um so housing housing is probably one of the 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 ones that i think many people can identify with in on a number of levels uh and it's one that's very interesting to me because there's a de- uh, I wouldn't say a split, but there are definitely differences in the sense of what people think the resolve, resolves, excuse me, should be in terms mm-hmm. of certain housing issues. So on the one hand, you have, you know, this idea of people are really digging in now to the um, occurrence of evictions and, and mm-hmm. the disproportionate number of people of African descent in particular who are impacted by evictions yeah. and what needs to happen in order to be able to uh, adjust, if you will, for that. The other part is, uh, which which is where my head is often, is this notion of deconcentrating poverty huh. and or, or and and what what was and so without with saying it without saying it you have to be really careful it's because it's really interesting to me when we say deconcentrating poverty and if we talk about statistically well what does poverty actually look like in the city uh-huh. and then where we talk about concentrated and dense poverty what we're really talking about is dealing with those black folk like yep. if and if you're not really to re- really willing to identify that and talk about that honestly then I don't want to hear it because you're, conversa- you're, mi- you're missing <laughs> right. the whole boat right yeah. right right but that's the reality like people will suggest and this has happened in a number of circles that I've been in but people will say well it isn't just black people that are poor yeah of course I'm clear about that I, yeah I but you're that. talking you know. about a specific what what this is this is the part I can't get over 
when deconcentrating poverty comes up, you're right. You're talking about a specific place, mm-hmm. group of people, area. Well, Richmond is really good at, do, at deconcentrating poverty because that's what they do to us anyway when they want a new uh, road or oh, yeah. oh, a yeah. new coliseum or yeah. VCU wants a new parking lot. They just yeah. bulldoze right over our shit. Or they moving. just don't want the responsibility <laughs> of getting anything fixed, you know, like, like in the case of Fulton, you know, yeah. back in the 70s. Like we, it, And so the interesting question for me with that then is that will people who take that position is, okay, where are the non-people of color who get displaced in this process of deconcentrating poverty? Of all of the folks you're talking about Mm -hmm. who are also poor in Mm -hmm. the city, where do they get displaced in this process? What are we deconcentrating in relationship to, you know, where they live, where mm-hmm. they reside, you know, within the city and or, you know, the surrounding jurisdictions? Mm-hmm. But, the, but, the, but the reality, though, for me, more, not to say more important, but in addition to that is that the city officials that I have had conversations with, the, um, I guess I would say city leaders in general, um, and, and those who have all been having conversation that, that really are championing, championing this notion of deconcentrating poverty, Uh the one thing that I feel that is really important to make sure is brought to the conversation and this is why I'm hoping that it um, it, it, it's raised up when we have this this particular session in terms of our dialogue Uh is that one, there are other avenues to be able to deal with the realities of the environment in terms of housing other than just what they're proposing. Yeah. People suggest that, well, it's been done in this particular locality and they, they, they cite it as some sense of success. But I know that there's research to counter that. Uh, they say that, well, even within Richmond, they point to black uh, Blackwell, well, what was I call it, I say the, um, the Blackwell community. They, they point to uh, Dove Court as well and, mm-hmm. and, and suggest, well, you know, look what happened. And and, you know, the crime rate's gone down. Well, okay, but you still haven't answered the question of well, what, is hap- what happened with the people who you displaced in relationship to both of those communities and what did it do to the places where those who were engaged in quote-unquote criminal activity, uh-huh. uh, what did it do to the places where they then in turn landed? You know, did, 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 we, just, did we just shuffle it to some different part of the, you know... Uh, huh. uh, Here, it's the, your turn. Right, <laughs> right, right. The metro area, <laughs> or did we truly uh, get rid of it? Uh-huh. I w- I would argue the former, but nonetheless, you know, that's never really a full part of the conversation when we're talking about it because people want to just deal with the notion of whatever is out of sight is out of mind. Uh But these are things we need to discuss nonetheless. Uh, But to put to your point in terms of uh, the connection or the intersection, excuse me, with the housing piece, uh, it, it. People have argued on a psychological level, they've argued on a sociological level um, that, you know, for relative purposes, there are direct connections between uh, poverty, of course, and crime, but then for relative purposes, uh, proximity. That's what Uh I'm looking for. Um, Proximity in relationship to uh, how specific crimes and what specific crimes occur. And and it's very interesting, you know, when, when we talk about crime in and of itself, we're only talking about those crimes that occur within communities, again, who are poor and who are underserved and who do not have access to a variety of different resources and and opportunities and the things that would be available. And that 
in and of itself even has a direct effect on the kinds of crime that a person can even be engaged in to begin with. You know, um, jokingly, I kind of paraphrase Amos Wilson in saying that, you know, uh, sisters and brothers on the corner, if they had the skills of accounting, could easily be engaged in the crime of embezzlement, Uh you know, as opposed to knocking someone upside the head. But if they don't have that skill set, then you even limited and defined the kind of crime that I can be engaged in to begin with. Bingo. And so, you know, give me give me this give me the accounting skills and then I'll stop, you know, busting somebody upside the head yeah. and I will, you know, I'll gladly rob you by books. But the point <laughs> And then I won't have to serve as much jail time. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. I have a different if, minimum if, if any at all. Um mm-hmm. but 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 this, but in sincerity, in in relation to to the point of the housing, um, we know that the the structure, excuse me, of the environment and and where a person lives and in proximity all has an impact uh, in terms of the development, if you will, of what people call antisocial behavior. Uh-huh. But I I challenge that notion sometimes uh, in terms of being antisocial and being more so proactive in the context of meeting things at the level of where my personality has developed based on what I have access to and what, um, I guess for all other purposes, has affected my uh, ability to be able to meet those things that I've deemed valuable or important. Mm. So with law enforcement, uh, that one, uh, we are really working on getting the involvement of all of the jurisdictions, uh, police chiefs, and uh, I guess other relevant uh, direct law enforcement, if you will, uh, persons Uh uh, within the jurisdictions. It's so... One of the things that, you know, as I alluded to a little earlier in the program, is that we really need to start making an analysis of the models that we have for crime fighting and in turn what that looks like at the policing level. We have a system right now where, you know, we, we talk to you talk to members of the community in a general context. You know, folk will talk to you about, you know, well, how we feel harassed, how we feel, you know, we get frustrated because it feels like police are coming into different communities and they're really just harassing folks more than uh quote unquote doing their job elsewise mm-hmm. and that comes from a number of different things that you know we can kind of point to both at a historical level and then in a in a in a in a current if you will uh social social context but ultimately the point is is that we when people talk about community policing i feel that it really needs to be even further defined so that we're clear about what that interaction then looks like yeah. um on the one hand there's a historic relationship that really grew in in all sincerity out of the uh, need to be able to corral and or to keep in line people who were enslaved in mm-hmm. order to pull them back for other purposes into a fold in the fold and to be able to justify the mistreatment and and, and in many cases you know the death uh, and maiming and or all the other horrible things uh, that that happened to African ancestors um, during that period and process mm-hmm. those things have transcended if you will uh, time to a point where now, obviously, the direct enslavement relationship is not the same that exists, but certainly there are aspects of uh, the authority and and the assumed superiority even that that exists in the police relationship with community uh, members and police and community members, excuse me, in my opinion, are, are rightfully distrustful of that. They're rightfully distrustful of it and they're rightfully um, antagonistic, if you will, to it. So what we really are hoping to do is to 
identify those things that, you know, as different agencies, certainly including uh, the police department, but not limited to the police department, mm-hmm. where we may actually be aggravators in the process of what's happening to really bring people through the courthouse doors, if you will. Like, what, what, are, what are those things that we really need to look at in terms of the way we interact, the policies that we enforce, the and, and, and for all other purposes, the things we prioritize even that, that affect uh, how many people we lock up for this particular thing and then as a result they they get prosecuted and they come through the courthouse doors and they're either incarcerated or they're put on some uh i'll just say interesting cycle of 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 demands and and conditions uh that that still have you know a pretty significant impact on their ability to be able to live out their their their, their general lives in and of of themselves and so what we're hoping to do is to be able to bring that level of scrutiny certainly to uh those involved in law enforcement but to also answer the questions well if this is what community members are sharing clearly are the their realities in the in the present you know uh, their present experiences uh-huh. then what are those things that we need to be mindful of in order to be able to develop a model that is closer to what i alluded to earlier a guardian context or yes. a, a, a context that really says that okay we're not only changing the way that we interact with individuals that that's that's yeah. that's one thing and then there are layers of that that have to be dealt with as well again we talked about race as one of them but uh-huh. we also have to talk about the reality that you know there are some far better purposes communities that i don't really care what the the circumstances are uh the people seem to be treated like they are suspects no matter what, mm-hmm. you know, there. And that's the feeling that people have shared with me, both right. from my focus groups, as well as uh, what I would argue has been my observation uh, just as uh, a man of African descent, you know, mm-hmm. living here in the city um, and my own experiences. Um, I do believe that there's opportunity to be able to affect that, to change that. But it, it again, is going to be a process that, that that's going to take some significant time, but it's also going to take a level of truth telling and uh, and authenticity with what we come to the table with to begin and op- the objectives, excuse me, we come to the table with to begin with uh-huh. in order to be able to move in that direction. But I'm hoping that the conversation will lead us uh, towards this notion of, of re- imagining, well, then what does the guardian model actually look like? Look like the actual uh, serve and protect part. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> not the knock me over the head part. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Well, I think that this is a great, a great place to start. Um, I know people are going to, you know, have opinions or have thoughts and everything. More to, questions. Yeah. Of course, like of course. This, this, that's exactly what the purpose of this is, is to start discussion. And it comes from a genuine place that people have been looking and demanding change from, mm-hmm. which, it, I mean, I don't know how better to say it. Mm-hmm. Like, you asked for it. There it is. Isn't it? Right, right, right. And this is independent, you know, of the election that we have going on right now. I know a lot of people yes, yes. have been, I've heard a lot of buzz with that, like, oh, no, this is just coming up right now. No, it has nothing to do with the election. This project was started. Um, you guys actually had kind of a focus panel to gather some feedback, yeah. yeah, to do that long before Mike Herring was even 
considering. So we had, we had, yeah, th- this, this, for people's own clarity, I, this has been literally uh, two years of work in the making. Like, mm-hmm. and, and then, well, let's just leave it at that. Two years of work in the making. And so, no, it has absolutely nothing to do with Colette running for office or any of the other elected that, that may be involved running for office. And even though we recognize that there might be some sense of overlap with the fact that they are running for office, the fact is, is this is something that has to happen. And we need, and we are at work doing up, making our best efforts to focus on that. The, the one thing I haven't talked about is the first discussion first session, in the yeah. series is set for September 27th. That's September 27th. Uh, please don't beat me up about the time from 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. But um, <laughs> there's a whole lot of conversation about that. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's where we've landed. Uh, September 27th, 2 p.m. to 5 p.m. at Virginia Union University in its Living and Learning Center. Okay. Uh, the first session will actually be moderated by Michael Paul Williams. Um, and we intend to, for all other purposes, again, that title was The Collision at the intersection of poverty and criminal justice, but we intend to <laughs> to dig into some of those questions that we've alluded to uh, within the session. You know, why are the vast majority of people who are poor um, the people who end up being uh, charged, convicted, and incarcerated? You know, mm-hmm. for crimes. Uh, and those are just some of the things that we hope to be able to to dig into. But ultimately, we want this to be a springboard for a pretty. I guess what I would say, uh, meaty and substantive uh, series of of, um, conversations to come. So that's the first plug. And then we just got to look out for the next the the next pieces in the series. So we've got a little bit of time before that first one. Definitely. Um, So get yourself together and get your questions together. Come ready to discuss and respect each other. And hate that we got to say that. Is it is it possible? I can share, I guess, my contact information with you all, so okay, that absolutely. I don't know what the best means to do is. Oh, we'll so put it out there. Especially if someone wants to get copies of Beyond Containment, yeah. or they just want to stay uh, involved, or they have, you know, an interest in, in participating and, and forget the information that's been shared here, mm-hmm. they can contact me directly, and I'd, I'd be happy to share that information. As yeah, well. so we'll do that. We've got his information. If anybody wants a copy of Beyond Containment, hit us up at RVA Dirt on all platforms and we'll hook y'all up. We'd be remiss if we didn't go ahead and plug because it's it'll be coming up this week. Uh, there is a, a basically primary of sorts. Yeah. yeah. Um, for the Commonwealth Attorney. Yep, that's happening. So it's happening on the 8th and on the 10th. Got two different places, I believe, to go to. You've got uh, the, the main library. Richmond uh, Main Library. And Southside Community Center, yep. And I believe it's at night on during on Thursday during the evenings at six PM. Okay. And then on Saturday it's in the morning time. Ten thirty to one thirty. Yeah, so double check on that. Make sure you go. It's important. I believe the deadline to register in the race period, even for other parties or independents, is August the 16th. The 16th is correct. Yep. So that's coming up too, right around the corner. Mm-hmm. We got some predictions from the street committee. <laughs> so I heard that we might get somebody else that wants to jump in as an independent. <laughs> so this could get kind of interesting. Hmm. We'll see. But anyway, y'all got a whole lot of information today, and I'm glad it covered. We covered a wide span of things, but I hope that you guys show up to these um, discussions. You know, RVA Dirt will do their best to be there, um, to live tweet. We'll, of course, put 
um, the uh, following series is up on our websites. And, and you've got almost two months to plan to be at the first one. Exactly. So, Stop you know. playing. <laughs> I know it's two to five, but come on, you can uh, mm-hmm. you can take a long lunch or knock off at the end of the day. Yeah, you we'll can get do it. it. We can make it happen. We'll get it done. All right. Well, as always, we thank you so much for coming and being thank with you. us. Thank you. All. This has been really great and informative. Yes. And we want people to, you know, this Richmond does a lot of complaining. There's a lot wrong with Richmond, too, but Richmond does a lot. They We're real good at complaining about something. Mm-hmm. Well, you asked. Speciality. I'm telling you. You asked and you're getting, you know, substance from the Commonwealth Attorney's Office. So you have no excuse not to participate and be around the table. You know, we can't just keep creating more tables. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> right. that don't do nothing. <laughs> so glad that you came today with us. We appreciate everything that you shared. You both. Please come back. Um, we want some updates. Um, especially after we get a couple of these under our belt, see where we are. Of course, of course. Um, and if you guys, I know we've got most of our listeners are in Richmond, um, of course, because we're a local station. But we got a lot of people that also listen on the Internet in Chesterfield and in Henrico. If you guys want to be included in this conversation and you want um, to either make sure that you're there or you might want to serve on the panel, you know, send us a send us a note. We'll get it to them. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, y'all know what time it is. As always, Flint still has dirty water. RPS is fully funded for this year, but we're working on next year, too. And Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it. Talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. As always, you can hear RVA Dirt's Municipal Mania right here on WRIRLP 97.3 FM, Richmond Independent Radio, every Wednesday at 11 a.m. And you can hit us up across all social media at RVA Dirt.